Stay in that hymn book and turn back to 673. I want to read a responsive passage this morning entitled Praise and Adoration, taken from Psalm 96. I'll be reading the portions that are in the regular print, and you would read in unison, please, the portions that are in bold. 673, Praise and Adoration, uh, Psalm 96. Praise and Adoration, 673, as we read God's Word together. 673, Praise and Adoration. The Bible says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Splendor and majesty are before Him. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come to His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Amen. You may be seated. You know, God will bless the reading of His Word.
Amen. Thank you so much. That's a beautiful song. Beautiful reminder, choir. Glad to see you in God's house today. Take your Bible, turn to Revelation chapter 1, please. I'm sorry about the joke. I'll try to behave. We kind of wound up today. I won't even mention cats, I promise. (laughs) Revelation chapter 1. The year is somewhere between A.D. 94 and 96. The place is the island of Patmos, a small island, the Aegean Sea off the coast of Ephesus. There a man by the name of John is banished because he loves and serves and preaches the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I know him better as the Apostle John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, the Epistles of John, and the book before us today, the book of Revelation. Now, at this time, John is an older man. Uh, many believe he was probably in his 90s. And he's the last survivor of the original 12 disciples. And it's there that John receives visions that reveal the, the end of the world and beyond. Now, I'll be honest with you today. The book of Revelation evokes different feelings among different people. Some people love to study and read and ponder and talk about the book of Revelation. Others do not. In fact, there are those who might even look at the book of Revelation and approach just reading it with fear or dread. To them, it seems so mysterious and so strange and so difficult to understand. Billy Graham said this about the book of Revelation. He said, it has been more neglected misunderstood and misinterpreted than any other book of the Bible. And I think Billy Graham is right. Now, we're going to lay some groundwork this morning as we launch into the book of Revelation. And we're going to put down a a firm foundation, I trust. But I need to let you know there have been four main approaches to the book when you come to interpret the book and, and what it means. There are four main interpretations that people take when they come to the book of Revelation. I'm going to mention them very briefly today. All right. I don't want to belabor the point. Don't want to bore you with details. But here are the four main ways that people have approached the book. First of all, there's the preterist view, the preterist view. And those who hold to the preterist view, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T, they believe that John was not writing about the future. He wasn't writing about the future at all. In fact, John was writing about events happening in his own day. And so uh, this is not about prophecy. It's about what was going on. Now, it is true that John does address some things going on in his own day. In fact, chapters two and three, we'll find out, were written to the seven churches and those went on in his own day. But the majority of the book, we believe, is not talking about John's own day. Well, there are those who hold secondly to the historical view, the historical view. And they look at the book of Revelation and the events in it, and they see these as events or things that are going to happen throughout church history. And so what you're reading in Revelation, you can kind of take church history and you hold it up and you begin to try to fit the pieces together and guess the best you can, I guess. And you say, well, this is what it's talking about. This happened at this point in church history. And so they take the historical view. The third view would be the idealist view, the idealist view. And the idealist will interpret the book allegorically. They'll spiritualize the text. Uh, In other words, in their minds, this is all just a big story to kind of help you know that good is going to triumph over evil. 
And the idealist approach, it throws out a literal interpretation. They just throw that out. And in all honesty, when you approach the word of God that way, it can become quite fanciful. In fact, you can just make it say whatever you want it to say, really, right? I mean, you just say, well, this is what this means. And you fit it and you allegorize it and you spiritualize it and say, well, this must mean this and so forth. That's the idealist view. Then there's a fourth view. And that view is the futurist view. And the futurist view takes the book of Revelation and it looks at it primarily as a prophecy, a prophetic book from chapter four until the end, from chapter four to the end. And this is the view that we're going to take as we study it. Why? Because this is the best view. It fits the book. It fits the proper principles of interpretation and how we approach a book of the Bible. Now, remember, the view you take on interpretation will greatly impact the understanding of that book. And if you approach it in certain ways, you can make the Bible say all kinds of things that it does not say. But then you might be wondering, well, what do you do, preacher, with all the signs and the symbols and uh, the things that we see in it? Are they figurative? Are they literal? Are they understandable? What do you do with these creatures that we see in all these things? Well, Tim LaHaye gave some good counsel. I think we would do well to hear. He reminds us as you approach the book of Revelation to follow the golden rule of interpretation. You all ready for the golden rule? Here it is. When the plain sense of the scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. Let me say that again. When the plain sense of the scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. In other words, take every word as its primary, ordinary, usual, literal meaning, unless, unless the immediate context studied in the light of other passages clearly indicate otherwise. And there are symbols and there are signs and there are things we'll talk about and look at. But this rule from Dr. David L. Cooper, the golden rule, it provides the basic guideline. For interpreting uh, signs and symbols and the scripture itself. When the plain sense of scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense. And when it doesn't, walk carefully, prayerfully as you go. Now, I know you're itching to get in the book itself, many of you. And if you haven't turned there yet, please find your place in chapter 1. We'll begin reading at verse 1. While you're finding it, if you haven't already, you're going to notice that the name of the book is in the book itself. Depending on what translation you're carrying this morning, your Bible may have it titled this way. The Revelation of St. John the Divine. Anybody's Bible have that? Is the, this is not a joke. I told you I'm done joking today. Anybody have that as your title? Yes, yeah, some of those. The Revelation of St. John the Divine. Well, in all honesty, that is not the correct title. The correct title is found in the very first verse where it says the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I know why they say that John is the one that received the revelation and he writes it and gives it out. But it's not a revelation of John. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. I want you to also notice as we jump in this morning that you'll notice that the book is singular. The revelation, not plural, the revelations. You say, well, it does matter. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ, not revelation. So it's it's not proper to call it the book of revelations. It's the book of revelation. Also, a simple outline is given in the book itself. 
In fact, we find it in the very first chapter, verse 19. Look at verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. That's a very simple outline of the book itself. First of all, you have the things which you have seen. That's chapter one. We're about to read chapter one. You'll see a vision of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ. John had seen that. Write that down, he says. Then it says in verse 19, after write the things which you have seen and the things which are. That is chapters two and three. That's the present time. That's the messages to the seven churches. And so you have the things which are. And then the third division is what? The things which will take place when? After this. That's chapters 4 through 22. Uh, These are things that will happen after the church age. This is the future. These are the prophecies that take up a large portion of the book. And so as we're studying, because you have the outline right there in your Bible, right there in verse 19 of chapter 1, you can kind of keep your bearings. You know, the one is chapter one, the second division is chapters two and three, and the third division is chapters four through verse twenty two. Well, that's enough of that. Let's go ahead and read through chapter one of Revelation. Now, we're going to take the first three verses as our text this morning, but I want to read the entire chapter. Would you follow along as I read God's word? Revelation chapter one, beginning at verse one. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. And every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first of the last. And what you see write in the book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. 
His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Can we just stop right there and say what the scripture says? Amen. Amen. I am him who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen. And the things which are. And the things which will take place after this. The mystery It's interesting, it actually tells what these symbols and these signs are right here. The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Now, we're going to focus mainly on the first three verses this morning, and we'll tackle the rest in a later time. But as I said earlier, the book of Revelation is a book that brings mixed emotions, and there are parts that are difficult to understand. To be quite honest with you, it's a difficult book at certain places. I've been privileged to study it in academic settings, both in undergraduate and graduate levels, and I'm still an elementary pupil when it comes to the book of Revelation. And so you might be thinking, well, what's, with, with such disagreement and misunderstanding and difficulty, why study it in the first place? What's the purpose? What's the value? There are so many other books we could study. Sixty five other Bible books we could study. Why take the time to tackle the book of Revelation? Well, I'm glad you asked. As I prepared for this opening message this morning, so I looked at these opening verses. I've made a list of seven reasons why. We should study the book of Revelation. Seven reasons why we should study the book of Revelation. I could have chosen more reasons. I could have chosen less. But I settled on number seven because the number seven is a significant number in the book of Revelation. And so I thought I'll just stick with that theme. Seven reasons why we should study the book of Revelation. I want to give them to you this morning. I want to jot them down. Number one. Number one, because it is. The word of God. You knew that was coming, didn't you? Because it is the word of God. Really, that's enough. That's reason enough. As a part of God's word, it's worth our investment of time and energy and brain power to study this precious book. Joshua Code, memorizers. Remember this verse? All scriptures give my inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Second Timothy three sixteen. And so all scripture is profitable. And it's interesting here, as you look at the book of Revelation, it's the way in which it was received. Look again at verse 1. It says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Did you notice the channel in which it was received? At least five key people are mentioned in the receiving of this book. First, we find out that God gave it to Jesus. God gave it to Jesus. And then Jesus sent it to and through his angel. And then it says the angel to John and then John to God's servants. 
Five key people involved in just getting this book. The channel comes down. It's from God Himself. Gives it to His Son to reveal to His servants. And Jesus goes through the the use of an angel. And then John gives it to the servants. And of course, we're a part of that today. And then it says in verse 2 that John bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. He was an eyewitness. What we have before us today is not man's creation. It's not a work of fiction. It's not a work of just sensationalism. It is the very Word of God. And so the very first reason we want to study it is because it's the Word of God. Now, the second reason. The second reason we want to study is because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. The very first opening words say the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not a revelation of John. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation there literally means to unveil, to uncover, to show. Picture in your mind's eye, if you can, we're standing in front of a city hall somewhere and a statue has been erected of one of the, the city founding fathers. But that statue is covered up. You've been to maybe some of those unveilings before. It's covered up and everybody's excited. They're about to unveil. They're about to reveal. They're about to uncover. So the very right moment they pull the cord or they pull the sheet and it's unveiled. That's the picture here. This is the unveiling, the uncovering, the showing, the revelation, the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want you to forget as we study, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't ever become so preoccupied with numbers and symbols and signs that you miss the Savior. Let me say that again. Don't ever become so preoccupied with the numbers and signs and symbols and prophecies and all these things that you miss the Savior, Jesus Christ. Warren Wiersbe said John's prophecy is written primarily, is primarily the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelation of future events. He says you must not divorce the person from the prophecy, for without the person, there could be no fulfillment of prophecy. He quotes Dr. Merrill Tenney. He is not incidental to its action. He is the chief subject. If you take Jesus out, there's nothing. You see, it's the person, the Lord Jesus Christ, that makes the prophecy possible. How prevalent is Jesus in this? Well, listen to what he said. In Revelation chapters 1 through 3, Christ is seen as the exalted priest king ministering to the churches. In Revelation 4 and 5, he is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God reigning on the throne. In Revelation chapter 6 through 18, Christ is the judge of all the earth. In Revelation chapter 19, he returns to the earth as the conquering king of kings. The book closes with the heavenly bridegroom ushering his bride, the church, into the glorious heavenly city. He says, whatever you do as you study this book, get to know your Savior better. That's good counsel. And that's our desire as we study this, because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why should we study, preacher? Well, number one, because it's the word of God. Number two, because of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number three, because a blessing is promised to us in connection with it. A blessing is promised to us in connection with it. I don't know if you called it when we read through the passage or not. But did you notice that this book has a special promise attached to it? Look at what it says in verse 3 of chapter 1. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy 
and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. Bless, happy. If you go to the end of the book, here's what it says. Revelation 22, verse seven. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Happy is the one who reads it and hears it and keeps it. As far as I know, it's the only book of the Bible that has a promise like that connected to it. And notice it's not just the reading it. And it's not even just the hearing it. Notice it does say the one that keeps it. There's a blessing connected to it. Why should we study Revelation? Number one, because it's the word of God. Number two, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Number three, a blessing is promised to us in connection with it. Number four, because it will help us in our holiness. It will help us in our holiness. What I mean by that is I believe we'll grasp the truths in this precious letter. It will help us to lead a more holy life. Look at what it says in verse one. It says there in the middle of verse one that these are things which must shortly take place. Things that must shortly take place. Now, listen, there are those who take that phrase and they say, well, that doesn't mean it's going to happen shortly. What that means is once it starts happening, it's going to happen quickly. There's a rapidity about it. And that's true in many ways. You have just seven years. You have this horrible tribulation time. And there are things that are going to happen very rapidly. But I don't think that's the primary meaning there. I believe what he's saying there is what it says. These things must shortly take place. That is, his return is near. His return is imminent. And unless you miss it, it says in the end of verse 3, for the time is near. In other words, we're living in the last days. Now, some might be thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand years have passed by and Jesus Christ hasn't come yet. You say we're living in the last days. Wait a minute, friend. Wait a minute. Why is it? Why is it all this time has passed by and yet he's not here? Well, here's why. Because God uses his calendar, not ours. He uses his calendar, not ours. And if you wonder about God's calendar, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So we look at this and say, well, it's been 2,000 years, Jesus hasn't come back. But in reality, it's only been a couple days. Of course, we know God is long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish, all should come to repentance. He wants to see as many who will trust His Son and be saved. But what I'm saying to you today is I think it will help us live a more holy life. Why? Because we realize that Jesus Christ can come back at any moment. Nothing has to happen for him to come back. And when he comes back, if you're like me, you want to be busy serving him and loving him and pleasing him and doing what would be honoring to him. Because he could come back at any moment. He could come back before that clock strikes noon. He could come back now. His return is imminent. It's near. The time is short. 1 John 3, 2 and 3 say, Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. But listen to the third verse. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. If you'll grasp the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe it will help you to live a more holy life. That's reason number four. Reason number five. We should study Revelation because it will help to keep us sensitive to the lost people around us. 
It will help to keep us sensitive to the lost people around us. What do I mean by that? Well, if time is short, if Jesus is coming again soon, then we had better be busy sharing his message, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because time is running out. Now, listen, if we really believe the Bible, we say we do, right? We believe the Bible. If we really believe that anyone who dies without Jesus Christ is going to hell, we believe that. We say we believe it, right? So the Bible teaches. If we really believe that they only get this life to decide for Christ, it's not a second, third chance after they die. This is it. If we really believe that, then we better get busy sharing the gospel with them. In fact, the Revelation 20, verse 15 says this, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Do we believe that? We say we believe it. Amen. But do we really believe it? Does our life show that we believe it? I think it'll help keep us sensitive to the lost people to realize that we're surrounded by people that are going to spend eternity in either heaven or hell. And time is running out. And they're not promised tomorrow. This is their only chance. There's some in this room. This may be your last chance. You say, well, yes, friend. Funeral after funeral. Death after death. This may be your last chance. Is your name written in the book of life? Have you turned from your sin and placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Today's the day of salvation. Harden not your heart. Repent. Put your faith in Christ today. He's coming again. Don't dare die without him. Studying this book will help us to keep ourselves sensitive to the lost people around us. Number six, if you're writing the note, number six. I like this one. We should study the book of Revelation because it will encourage us to remember that we win. It will encourage us to remember that we win. That may seem a little strange to you, but is it not encouraging to read the back of the book and know that we win? To know that Jesus is victorious. Listen, our world is filled with so much violence and evil and sin. The days are dark and getting darker by the moment. I can't even hardly stand anymore even turning on the news or looking in the newspaper. The vile filth of our world is impending upon us. And here we are trying to shine as lights for the Lord Jesus Christ. We see all these horrific things around us. And then I turn and read these words. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death. Hallelujah. Nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Friend, I don't know about you, but it encourages me to read the back and say, We win! Why? Because Jesus won. He's victorious. It's an encouragement. To know that things are not going to continue like they are. God is going to deal with this sin and this evil and this wickedness. There's coming a day, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more funerals, no more hospitals, no more sickness. 
we win. But there's a seventh reason. The seventh reason is this. We should study Revelation because it will remind us that this is not all that there is. This is not all that there is. Now, I've called the first part of this study, Revelation, a divine wake up call. And I've done that because I think that's what we need. We need a wake up call. I believe we need it in our individual lives. I believe we need it in our families. I believe we need it in our church. You know why? Because the monotony, the monotony of life. You know what I'm talking about the monotony of life? Monday morning, the alarm goes off. You can't wait for Friday. The weekend flies by. You've got to serve in nursery again. You know the monotony of life. <laughs> the monotony of life lulls us and dulls us. And, and, and we, we forget the great reality. Listen, this isn't all that there is. This life is temporary. This world is not our home. We're just passing through on our way to glory. We need a wake up call. You see, in the humdrum of daily existence, that's what it is. So there's so much monotony, there's so much humdrum. We need the alarm to go off in our minds, in our hearts, in our families, and understanding that Jesus is coming again. We, we, we keep our eyes down here. We forget to look up for Jesus could come today. The next, the last verse in the book says it clearly. Revelation twenty two twenty. He who testifies to these things says, listen to what he says. Surely I am coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. And I think if we'll study the book in the right way, with the right heart, the right desire, all through our study, you know what we're saying? Even so come, Lord Jesus. That's why we're going to study the book of Revelation. Father, thank you that we have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Victory over sin, victory over the grave, victory over the monotony and dullness of life at times. You've come to give us an abundant, joy-filled life. Father, may we walk carefully and prayerfully through this book together. I pray the Holy Spirit will be our teacher and our guide. Lord, I pray that we'll continue to focus upon the one revealed the one unveiled, the Lord Jesus Christ. And see that this is all about Him. Thank you that Jesus is coming again. Thank you that there is coming a day where there will be no more sin, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more weeping, no more graves, None of that. Thank you that you're going to wipe away all tears from our eyes. Even so come, Lord Jesus. But Lord, you promised that there's a blessing here for those who hear it and read it. And then, Lord, keep it. We know there are lessons and things that we're to live out as we go through this book. 
Father, would you make us so sensitive to the lost around us? To be sharing the gospel with them. And Lord, would you use this letter to help us to live a more holy life as we keep our eyes peeled upon the skies, looking for the glorious and soon return of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I pray again, if anybody here today is not ready to meet you, they don't know you. Would your Holy Spirit work in their life and bring them during this closing song? Bless now, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 621. As we think about the king, the king is coming. We close with this song, Lead On, O King Eternal. That is our prayer. And if you need to be saved today, while we're singing this, I'll be down at the front here. I'd love to share Christ with you and lead you to Christ. Just step out and come and we'll help you. 621, maybe God's spoken to your heart about something today, Christian, and you want to come and pray. We would invite you to do so. 621, lead on, O King Eternal. Let's stand and sing. Oh.